Welcome to the Arsenal Beat, the only podcast which brings together the reporters and journalists who cover Arsenal on a regular basis. I'm Sam Dean from the Daily Telegraph, and today I'm joined by Mark Manbryant of PA Media and Art de Rocher of The Athletic. It's obviously been a pretty joyful few days for the club and its supporters, so we'll be looking back at the North London derby on Sunday and also throwing it forward to this weekend's trip to Brighton. We'll also talk about Granit Xhaka, who's just been ruled out of action for around three months. And then it's finally Mark's turn to take on the Arsenal beat Arsenal quiz. The quizzer becomes the quizzee or something like that. Mark, uh, as it's your special day on, in the hot seat, I'll come to you first. We were both there at the Emirates on Sunday. Firstly, what a performance by Arsenal. And secondly, what an atmosphere at the Emirates. So, was that the, the best you've heard it, do you think? Or, or certainly one of the best you've heard it in all your years doing the club? Yeah, it's definitely up there. I think it's it's only magnified by the fact we've not been used to it. We've not had fans in stadiums for ages. And, you know, uh, we joke amongst ourselves that, that people say it's good to have fans back. Yet we say, oh, it means we can't drive to stadiums. And, you know, we, <laughs> we, have, we have that look of it. But when you see what happened on on Sunday, it just shows you how much they 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 were missed during that whole lockdown and the restart and all, everything like that. In terms of performance, it was it, I, I I fully turned up expecting it to be two sides playing poor football, and I felt a bit sorry for Arsenal really because um, if I just highlight Monday night football, really the guys are obviously great, but I think ninety five percent of the analysis was about how bad Tottenham were. And for a team that it's normally Arsenal that are on the end, receiving end of, of that kind of analysis. So the one time they've actually gone out in the past few years and put a team to the sword like they did, and it all seemed to be pointing towards Spurs not playing well. Now, let's be honest, Spurs are utterly diabolical in that first half. I thought Arsenal played well, but they just cut through them like a hot knife through butter. And, but you've still got to have the players out there to do it. And I thought they, from, from the kickoff, they had all the right... They had the right attitudes, they had the right get up and go to just get about Spurs. Knowing They must have obviously known Spurs' heads have dropped because that had happened to Arsenal. It's, it's about getting that, that momentum, isn't it? They have it now and that first first half, they just blew them out of the water. Oh, what did you uh, make of the performance of Emma Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka, especially because a uh, lovely piece on The Athletic this morning by your colleague James Nicholas talking about the connection between those two and a good stat is that they've now got the most um, goal combinations between them. So they've each set each other up more times than anyone else in the squad since the start of last season, which is quite striking given that Smith Rowe didn't play for the first half of last season. And obviously you've got Lacazette and Aubameyang who are supposedly the two main guys up top. So are those two in particular, how good were they? And what did it say about sort of the academy and everything about Hale End and the fact that these two were the, the star men on the derby day? Yeah, I think that's... That stat actually speaks to, I guess, how influential Smith Rowe was to Arsenal's second half of last season. When you consider the football that was being played in the first half, especially in those November and early December weeks. The um, dark days. The, <laughs> the very dark days. Um, you couldn't see Arsenal creating anything, really. And then he comes in on Boxing Day against Chelsea and is very much not only the, I guess, the creative spark, but... Um, you also added uh, a bit more off the ball as well in terms of just a presence in that kind of number 10 position. And then as the season went on, you see their connection against um, West Brom for, I think it was Saka that scored that day where Smith Rowe pops around the corner. They mm. just 
keep moving. And in the end, it's an easy finish, uh, a tap in for Saka, but the goal was amazing. And I think uh, when you consider, I guess, the, the types of players they are, I think, one, they're both very technical. Uh, I think Saka probably doesn't get as much credit for his technical ability as Smith Rowe. Um, but also they're both very quick in that, say, 5-10 yard, uh, I guess, acceleration where uh, you see it for, um, I guess, Smith Rowe's movement for the goal against Tottenham, uh, where he's just so quick off the mark. But also I want to kind of, I guess, bring in Martin Erdegaard as well into this kind of discussion because... I'm all be delighted. Go ahead. I think... Although there's like so much chat about Smith Rowe and Saka, and I love it because they're both probably the, the shining lights of the Hayland boys at the minute. Um, Erdegaard plays a really important role in terms of just knitting it all together, I think. Um, and when you look back to the, the North London derby at the Emirates last season, um, Smith Rowe is actually the player that plays the initial pass that leads to Erdegaard's goal. Uh, this time against Tottenham, it was, I guess, roles reversed, where Erdegaard is the one that's playing the the pass, the initial pass anyway, in Saka. And then uh, Smith Rose at the, not the back post, but he's the one that comes in when nobody expects him. And um, I think that um, those three, uh, the, I, I, call, I keep calling them the like, technical supporting trio, um, um, I think those three are, are the kind of core group of players that that should be, I guess, built around this season um, in those roles anyway. And yeah, it was very nice to see, I guess, also because a lot of people get hung up on GA, <laughs> we'll call it. Um, it was nice to see uh, Smith Rowe and Saka add to their GA for, for those arguments as well. <laughs> GA, all these new abbreviations and stuff passed me by. Um, ESR, there you go. Um, on Smith-Rowe, I thought, I know last season we saw flashes of how, just how good he is, but I tweeted it on, on Sunday and I still think it rings true. I think that felt a bit of a, a coming-of-age performance, I thought, on Sunday from him in such a big game to take it by the scruff of the neck the way he did. I know Saka played well, but we've seen it from, from Saka already, I think. But Smith-Rowe, when Odegaard first came in in January and then when he came in again in the summer, I think a few people would have been slightly worried about Smith-Rowe's position in the team. Then obviously we saw this switch to 4-3-3, which arguably opened up a chance for him to get into it. 4-2-3-1 on Sunday and he's out on the left. And you think, oh, you know, we want to see him at number 10. Whereas actually, I think that could now be his way into the side, is playing off that left. And, and one man who would have been watching that game and worried slightly, I think, would be Nicola Pepe because... How can you take those two out of the team when when they perform the way that they did? You know, Pepe not had a great start to the season. He's been involved in in the bad games he played in the in the wins, obviously those narrow wins. But I just thought Smith Rowe the, the other day just oh, I just couldn't believe how good he was that first half. And it, it's great as well, like you say. I'm I'm not an Arsenal fan like like you are, but I don't think anyone minds when you see youngsters coming through, young English players coming through at clubs. It's just great to see. And we got some. Bukayo Saka quotes after the game and he was talking about how him and Smith Rowe talks about how important this game was, how they'd both like to score. And yeah, it's, it's one of those feel-good stories, isn't it? Where they're both, they're providing assists and scoring goals and, and, it, and you can see just what it means to them. Arsenal! 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 
the balance of the forward line seems quite good when they have Smithrow coming in from the left because obviously Tierney provides so much width on that side. And Tommy Asu doesn't do anything like that on the right where he's a bit more defensive-minded because he's more of an out-and-out defender. So you got if you sort of picture it in a line, you've got sort of Tierney, Smithrow, Odegaard, Saka, all in the same sort of final third line. And that's quite a lot of creativity there. And they can find gaps and, and basically pick out the passes they need. So I agree with you, Mark, that it seems to be almost now... <laughs> oh, you know, say now as if it's been a long-running thing. It's based on one game, really. But you can't bring Pepe in to that unless you drop Saka out. And it seems pretty clear, I think. Oh, I don't know if you agree, but Saka seems much better on the right than on the left these days, which is funny because when he first came into the team, he was pretty much predominantly either a left-back, left-wing-back or left-winger. And then I think I remember his first game on the right was at Wolves and he scored a goal, but he actually was quite poor, I think. It didn't, didn't look like entirely comfortable on that flank, but now he's completely out and out a right, a right winger, I would say. And his first few performances of the season on the left were definitely below his usual standard. So is, is it him and Pepe, do you think? And do you agree with that right-left assessment? Yeah, I think when you look at the balance of, I guess, that attacking um, group of players, if you want to add Tierney into that, um, and you've kind of got a natural, you've basically got two number 10s there in Smith-Rowe and Erdegaard, because when you see how Erdegaard actually plays and the positions he takes up, he, a lot of the time, drifts out to the right anyway. So Smith-Rowe can come into those more central spaces, then Tierney can bomb on, on the left. And I think... Um, they might have mentioned it on Monday Night Football um, in the build-up to, I think it was the second goal, so Aubameyang's, where Arsenal are still, still building up um, with Ramsdale and Xhaka, and uh, Erdegaard is actually telling Saka to stay high. Um, so I think when you have um, Smith-Rowe on the left, I've done inverted commas for people who can't see that. <laughs> um, he's coming inside anyway. And then Erdegaard pushes further right. And then that allows Saka to push further forward, I think, and play more as that right winger that, that can isolate defenders. And I think we've all seen when when he is playing on the right, I think the examples that spring to mind are Leicester at home in um, the 2019-20 season when everyone was still at home, <laughs> but uh, it was an assist for Aubameyang where he isolated the defender on the right, um, right-footed cross um, into Aubameyang for a goal. Then I think Brighton away, also in lockdown, <laughs> um, in around New Year um, uh, or maybe just before the New Year last season, uh, he gets the ball in halfway, spins and uh, just streaks down the wing. And he cuts it back for Lacazette to finish. Um, I think he's probably got a lot more, I guess, clarity when he is um, attacking down the right because he doesn't have to worry about the overlapping fullback or wingback, whatever you want to call it. Uh, as he said, Sam Tierney does that job extremely well on the left, but um, he isn't really, I guess, crowded out by by Tommy Yasu on the right. So that helps with the balance because he's got Martin Odegaard for support behind him if he needs him. Uh, if not, he can go by himself and and look for someone in the box like he did for Smith Rowe. Just think quickly on that, on the Pepe thing. Sam, you and I dovetailed ideas quite nicely. I asked Mikel this question and then and you wrote a great piece about it, about this being a Mikel Arteta team full of Mikel Arteta players. Obviously, Pepe 
wasn't signed during the, the Arteta reign. But also, I think we've seen that Arteta's not afraid to, to bomb out the, these big stars. I'm going to use hearts inverted commas around big stars there, but we've seen so many moved on. And I'm not saying that Pepe's about to be sold or moved on, but I don't think he has any worries in, in benching the club record signing to play a, a, a guy from the academy. I don't think that's something... He's not the kind of manager that's going to think, I've got to play him because of this. And we saw so many times last year that we'd ask about Pepe and he was always telling us that Pepe needed to deliver more. Well, now it's almost like he's lost his chance and, and these two have come in and, and have, all right, it's early days, but that first game on Sundays, you, I don't think we'd have seen that kind of display if, if Pepe had been in there for, for all the reasons Art described as well about the, the tactical nuances that, that he can explain much better than I can. One player who many fans were hoping would be bombed out this summer is, of course, Granit Xhaka, um, who very much remains and very much remains at the heart of the team, as he always has been ever since he joined Arsenal. And despite what you think of him, that is an undeniable fact that when Jack is fit, Jack plays. And he played very well on Sunday. Um, I thought he was absolutely exceptional, especially in the first half. And it was it was his kind of passing between the lines that opened up most of the chances and, and certainly led to the second goal. Um, and now he's out for three months, which on the roller coaster of Granit Xhaka's Arsenal career, this is just this is simply the latest the latest dip before the next one. Um, you've got a feel for him, obviously, given how well he played and how clearly he wanted to make up for that red card against Manchester City. But Mark, for the team, how big a blow is this, do you think? And, and what will this mean for Arsenal for the next year, next few months until Christmas, really? I think we'll see an impact in the bigger games because I think we've spoken about it a few weeks ago, how I think he's going to like this 4-3-3 formation now which arguably doesn't have a place for Granite unless you play him further forward. But the 4-2-3-1 he played on Sunday, which I think a lot of us will agree you might still be tempted to play against bigger clubs. It, I think he'd always, he'd always go for, for Xhaka and Partey as those two, just because of the trust. And I thought it was great on Sunday. It went under the radar. I thought, to be fair, Partey was probably my man of the match, but also under the radar because of that attacking display. But there was a moment just before he got injured, actually, where he completely checked, went off on his own, completely closing down Hugo Lloris when the ball was played back to him. It, it got cleared away, but he went down then briefly and waved to the waved to the bench and they were getting Lukonga ready to come on then. And then obviously, sadly, it didn't happen in time and then he got clobbered by Lucas at the other end of the pitch. But it's, it's sad for him, I think. He'd just come back from a suspension. I know we say it time and again about him and he was looking to prove himself again because he always seems to have to prove himself Whereas all the managers he has know how good he is and put trust in him. He seems to always be like facing a losing battle with fans to prove that he deserves to be in that team. Sunday was a great performance. You'd like to think he could have stayed in that team and, and, and keep it going. But three months is a long time to be out injured, in, especially at a time when the manager's rebuilding and revamping his side with new formations and bringing in new players and see how they work. So what, would you back around Christmas, New Year time? And by then... You don't know if, if Partey and Lukonga have suddenly clicked or he's, he's steadfast in a 4-3-3. So for Granit Xhaka now, it's, it's going to be a horrible three months getting back fit and, and not knowing what, it, what that team will look like and what his pathway back into that side will look like when he is fit. It feels like this Brighton game... Well, 
it's really interesting to think how he might set up against this. My gut instinct would be that he would stick with 4-2-3-1 against Brighton rather than go for the, the 4-3-3 he used against Norwich and Burnley just because on that scale of bad Premier League team to good Premier League team, Brighton are quite high up towards the good side, I think. But you just wonder whether Xhaka's absence might accelerate that change and, and slightly convince Arteta to throw caution to the wind and just go for it this weekend. But Brighton are a very good team and they're a very intelligent team. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Oh, what do you make of the game coming up in general? And how, Do you expect a similar performance to the one that Arsenal produced on Sunday? So, yeah, I think the main, not issue, but just debate in my mind is, like you guys said, what shape is Arteta going to go for? In terms of more general thoughts, I am... I'm not overly optimistic just because of how Brighton have started the season. I know they were quite lucky to get a point uh, at Crystal Palace on Monday with (laughs) everything that happened in added time at Selhurst Park. Um, But it just does feel like another big test because when you think about Arsenal under uh, Mikel Arteta, one of the big, well, one of the biggest episodes on on the field anyway was uh, away at Brighton in uh, just no, just as we were coming back from Project Restart. Um, obviously, he actually used a 4-3-3 then. That was when he first trialled it um, against Manchester City and then against Brighton, lost both games. But in that game, that's where Matteo Guendouzi played his last game for Arsenal so far. I'll say so far in inverted commas as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, first half, they looked very good and then second half everything just sort of unraveled and I feel like they need to be in a place where they don't uh, resort back to those individual mistakes that cost them games cost them so many points last season as well Um, I feel like if he does go with a a 4-2-3-1 the only and it's not even really a criticism or a concern is just how I'm assuming Lukonga would fit into that <laughs> and instead of uh, Xhaka, um, is how the left foot, right foot balance goes because we know that's something that Arteta has been very big on since he came into the first head coach, now manager role at Arsenal. You saw it with his centre-backs, Pablo Murray and Gabriel coming in as one of his first few signings. Um, and you've seen it with, I guess, Xhaka's constant um, presence in the team last season as well. So building on the left um, is something that I'd be quite interested to see if he does stick with the 4-2-3-1. If he goes back to the uh, 4-3-3, we all know Thomas Partey is the guy that he's going to trust to be that, I guess, first receiver off um, Aaron Ramsdale at times. Sorry if you just heard the door close. I forgot to shut my living room door. But um, yeah, I think... Everyone just wants to hear what you've got to say, mate. That's all it is. <laughs> no, the door closed. It didn't open. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no one wants to hear what you got to say. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's kind of where my, my thoughts are at the minute. I think it should be kind of similar to the game I mentioned earlier around Christmas time last year. It should be a fairly... Um, not comfortable because Brighton will give them uh, a big test, but I, I would expect a fourth uh, win in a row um, to keep that momentum going ahead of 
I guess, the reunion with Patrick Vieira the following week. Okay, hear me out on this. I'm going, I'm going, I'm, do, I'm doing one of my uh, slightly quirky uh, deep dives. <laughs> I'm going to argue that that game at Brighton in the Project Restart, as you said, the, the Gwendouzi game, which obviously was the game in which Bern Leno got injured and led to the Emmy Martinez resurgence out of nowhere. Um, I reckon that that incident has indirectly led to Lionel Messi scoring for PSG against Man City <laughs> last night. Here we go. This is going to be fantastic. <laughs> How long we got, is... everyone? How long we got? We'll do a, we'll do a podcast special on this. It, it, it's like, have you seen the domino effect meme? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, this is very much. A butterfly flaps its wings. Leno gets minorly shoved by Neil Mopai and Emmy Martinez comes in. So to, to condense it, without that incident, obviously Emmy Martinez never comes in the team. And therefore, Emmy Martinez never impresses, never gets a £20 million move to Aston Villa, and then never joins the Argentina national team and helps and plays a crucial role in Messi winning the Copa America and therefore staying at the Copa America for weeks and weeks and weeks this summer when everyone thought the deal with Barcelona was done and hadn't been registered in time. So are we hypothetically, and this is I don't know the ins and outs of... <laughs> Barcelona's uh, contractual situation and the timeline on that one because I know there's a registration issue but hypothetically if Messi wasn't playing at the Copa America and he signed a new contract and therefore didn't become a free agent in the summer he would have just been able to register him at Barcelona because that was the issue wasn't it they couldn't register him so it was Emmy Martinez's fault that Messi couldn't stay at Barcelona and therefore he joined PSG and it was Bernd Leno getting injured by Neil Mope which led to Emmy Martinez getting that development in his career so basically it all comes back to that and here you can post your exploding brain gif um and i've nothing else to say about that or any questions to ask <laughs> so, no, we, we can't argue with it can we let's be honest that is no. that is basically it it's bulletproof um if we're talking uh, memes my, memes mine's the one of the guy I, i'm not even sure what film it's from where there's the board with all the pins and um oh that's um rings and always sunny in philadelphia, philadelphia. yeah that's it yeah, that's my, that's my, that's my, that's my. <laughs> yeah, exactly that yeah, that was me on my chalkboard this morning before the podcast um, <laughs> pivoting uh, urgently back towards this game mark um hypothetical question again Let, let's say you know hypothetically arsenal lose the next eight games in a row and arteta gets sacked because there's simply no no way else of, of, of doing it. Do you think Graham Potter would be a candidate for the Arsenal job? Um, and if so, why? And if not, why? 100%. Because the, just that, I, I think the obvious answer is look at the way he wants to play football. And he's he's been given the time to implement that at Brighton when you've got, you've got to give them credit. You've got to give the club credit because other clubs would have, would have sacked him, I think, when they've had those spells of of struggling to get results and struggling to score goals. But he seems to have a squad now that he likes. He seems to have a formation that he likes. I think he makes players better that were already there when he got the job. I think the recruitment's been quite good. I don't think that's just Graham Potter, but I think the recruitment's been very good. And I just think you could, you could apply what he's doing there onto Arsenal, which sounds silly because Arsenal are obviously a much bigger club, but I don't think he would be you know, put off by the task of, of coming to Arsenal. I'd I think some fans wouldn't like it because he's not a big name manager, but unlike Mikel Arteta, he's got managerial experience. 
and he proves that he can get teams winning and winning in a good style. You know, we see we saw him win at the Emirates with a, with an Osterson side, and I think I could remember about two of the players that played in that game, but they played quite well. They they had a good style about them. He's used that same blueprint at Brighton, and imagine giving a manager like that better players, with all due respect to those players at Brighton, giving him better players to be able to do it with, surely means that he'd just be able to implement it more. Whether the the more senior players in that Arsenal dressing room would, would accept him is, is another question I think that we, only time would tell. And, and the beard is fantastic as well. I feel like um, Arteta's pretty much cleared out all the players who would object <laughs> beyond, beyond a few that spring to mind. So it's almost like the groundwork's been done. I don't think you would have put Potter in that job when Arteta was appointed, given the, I don't think he's quite the disciplinarian and he wouldn't have had the same power to wield that Arteta came in as a former player and uh, all the status he had at the club already. But um, yeah, Mark, do you remember you and I being in, out in Ostersund? I'm pretty sure it was you. You're going to embarrass me now and say it was actually some other journalist who I was, who I was with. But I think it was just you and I at the Ostersund press conference out in Sweden where people were skiing past us on the pavements. Yeah. It was a crazy day. Um, what did, do, you, do you remember... Do you remember much about that? Talking to Potter, you, you and I had a little chat with him afterwards, didn't we? Did, did you think then this guy was going to go on and be this uh, extremely exciting young English manager? I think it might have been you, me and Charles Watts, actually. I think the three of us were there. Um, <laughs> so, oh, sorry, sorry, Charles. I've absolutely erased you from my memory. In the biathlon centre, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I remember he did his, quite, his press conference quite early and then Wenger did his in the evening, didn't he, when, when all the big hitters arrived. But um, I, I, I was struck by a man who was very confident with how he spoke to us and he seemed quite determined in his plans and the way and to be fair to him as well he he obviously wouldn't get caught on that question that everyone wanted to ask him which was are you desperate to manage in England and you know he did quite a good job of saying well you know I'd like to do it one day but this is my project now you know he built that club up from the ground almost didn't he so I think he's he's a very savvy man I think he he's one of those guys as well you can imagine is can lose his his, I was going to say lose his bottle. I meant more in terms of getting in the dressing room, losing his head a bit if he's not happy with what he's seeing on the pitch. I definitely think he's got that about him. But yeah, I think he was he impressed me then, and he's impressed me most times since. I mean, I've sat through some of his press conferences, and you know he might not be the most enthralling of characters, but he, always, he seems to have a very, very good understanding of of some of the minutiae of the game that other managers might brush off. I think. Ah, oh, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Any Bryson players you take and put them in Arsenal? Danny Welbeck. So, oh my voice! <laughs> uh, uh, that that guy Welbs. Sorry. Put them in there. We'll put them in inverted commas. That guy Welbs. I was happy to see him score the other, the other week. Obviously, he scored an amazing goal at the start of the season, um, and uh, so I think he's going to have to be like. Obviously, got to be on the list. <laughs> and then um, also, I know Eve Basuma got a lot of talk in, in the summer. I think now that Lukonga's in, that probably that ship's maybe sailed. I think. Um, uh, aside from that, I I love Tariq Clamty. Um, I, I think I first saw him play against Arsenal under twenty threes at the EBB Stadium, <laughs> um, and then a couple. A couple of weeks later, he's making his Premier League debut at the Emirates, and he only came on for maybe twenty minutes. But he didn't—he didn't, I guess, single-handedly flip the game on its head. But the impact that he had in the in that short time on the pitch was just 
quite amazing, especially when you consider how small a player he is. He was very two-footed, very direct on the from right back and just left, made an instant impact. So he'd be the one that springs to mind. But I do think that that's, that ship's probably saved, sailed as well now that Tommy Yasu is in and it seems like Mikel Arteta favours taller players now. So um, that's probably just me or my football manager save someday. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> do you follow people? Yeah. I was going to say follow him on Twitch. Do you follow people on Twitch? Is it like... Yeah, you, 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 you follow oh, drop people your handle, on Twitch. Drop your handle. What's your Twitch yeah, handle? It's uh, at AJ Darosh. So if you want to uh, watch me play football manager, that's where I'm at. Or Quidditch. <laughs> or Quidditch. Superb. The, the only player I'm taking from Brighton is Neil Mope, and, and not not because of him as a football player, but just because he's the best wind-up merchant in the Premier League. And I know that's saying something when you've got Jamie Vardy around, but Neil Mope is like rustling. It's a different level. At Brighton, I was there on Brighton the Monday night, and he was just like he scored the goal, and it took him about two seconds to realise actually. This is not about me scoring a goal. This is about me <laughs> winding up as many fans and opposition as I possibly can. And obviously the Guendouzi thing was a, was a pretty fundamental moment in Guendouzi's whole career, simply because Mopai got in his head. Um, so yeah, bring him over just for the drama. Speaking of drama, that leads us on seamlessly to... A big moment in the Arsenal beat Arsenal quiz history as Mark Man Bryans, who has been the host of many a quiz so far this season, but never a participant, finally, finally takes the step forward. And Here we go. The quiz. <laughs> uh, uh, I, to Mark, use inverted commas, I'm shitting myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark, remind me of the, the scoreboard and what you need to get to top it. I need to get 10 out of 10 to top it. Charles Watts is still very much flying oh, high. Of course. Yeah, that we, was, that was we good then, We've then got a group of eight, which, is, which includes Art, uh, Simon Collings, John Cross and Susie Rack. Then it's your good self on seven. And Nick Ames still only has six points and he's still bottom, just to make the point. And he also <laughs> lost the uh, first ever guest the gunner. So he's never <laughs> coming back. Doesn't Nick Callow have, have seven as well? Oh, yeah, I even forgot about Nick Callow, bless him. But, yeah, Nick got seven as well, didn't he? Regular listeners will know how this works, but for anybody tuning in for the first time, Mark's going to have five general Arsenal knowledge questions, followed by five on his specialist subject. And inevitably, anyone who follows Mark on Twitter will know what this is going to be. It's, <laughs> it's the big man, Mohamed Elneny, is your specialist subject. And you've not specified Mohamed Elneny's Arsenal career. Oh, you've just, you've just oh dear. He's already done me here, hasn't he? He's already done me over. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how that goes. Don't worry, it's not... Uh... Against which club did he pick up his first caution play for Besiktas? <laughs> <laughs> I was tempted by that sort of thing. But I, didn't, I haven't done you too dirty, I don't think. But right, let's start with the, uh, the general knowledge. Oh. Cue music. Although I don't think we do music this one, do we? But cue music anyway. <laughs> in, my, my, in my mind, there's music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Question number one. Which former Arsenal player has made more assists in the Premier League? Dennis Bergkamp or Cesc Fabregas? Yeah. 50-50 to start you off. I mean, it definitely is. Have you got the numbers? I've got the numbers. It's pretty close. Oh, you love these questions. Go on then. 
What were they? Oh, can I have the number? Are you not even going to give me the numbers? Oh, God, no. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Um, yeah, I think Fabregas would have played a lot more games, wouldn't he? Just for that reason. And we don't just mean Arsenal. I can include his Chelsea in that, I assume. The question was, which former Arsenal player has made more assists in the Premier League? Dennis Bergkamp or Cesc Fabregas? Fabregas. Correct. Correct. 111 for Fabregas, 94 for Bergkamp. That's close enough. Fabregas, Fabregas, second highest all-time Premier League assist maker. Behind? Ryan Giggs. Ryan Giggs. Longevity merchant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> Didn't even put them in inverted commas. <laughs> Longevity merchant, brilliant. Uh, out of interest for anyone who cares, it goes top five is Giggs, Fabregas, Rooney, Lampard, Bergkamp. Oh, where's Question the two. Have you got the full? Sorry, have you got the full list? I'd like to know if De Bruyne is on there. He can't be far off now, can he? Tenth. He's behind Beckham, Milner, Gerard, David Silver. I mean, they're all longevity merchants, aren't they? Fit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Milner, the versatility merchant. Um, question number two: Granit Xhaka was one of only two players to be named in Unai Emery's five-man captaincy group in both of Emery's seasons at Arsenal. Who was the other? So this person was in featured in both of Emery's five-man captaincy groups. The other three on the, from the first all disappeared. Wow, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. I mean, when did Abamian get the armband then? He got it when he stripped him of it, didn't he? Um, I thought this is going to be great noise for, uh, for everyone. Um, I'm trying to even oh, think of being. knowing smile. I'm trying to think you'd even be in it, to be fair. Um, do, you want, do, do you want a little, a little steer? Uh, well, obviously, yes. So let me, uh, let me find. So his first captaincy group, so this would be in the 2018-19 season, included, and obviously these three are left, which is the point, Petr Cech, Aaron Ramsey, and Laurent Koscielny. So Granit Xhaka and one other survived to be featured in the next captaincy group. I've got it down in my head. To, to, I don't think it's a Bamiang. I think that's too obvious. I've got it down to two. And neither are still at the club. I'm just going to keep looking at you now whilst I try and get more. <laughs> it's like guessing gun all over again. Heart rate spiking. Right, I'm going to look up. I'm going to look at art while I say these. I'm going to say these two names, and I'm going to pick one. I think it's either Bellerin or Meza Ozil, and I will go for Meza Ozil. Correct. Oh, correct. Nice. <laughs> oh, good. I mean, you, t- you took your time there, but you've got yeah. you've got the answer right. So fair play. Yeah, yeah. Meza Ozil. I, I think I would have gone Bellerin, but um, yeah. I actually I was thinking it might be Monreal, but obviously they did the captaincy group late. After yeah. Monreal had left, didn't they? That was the that was the thing. It took him about two months to get captain sorted. Sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, uh, as was captain when he uh, had his last masterclass against Leicester. Um, what a game! What a game! Did he score? About, I it, what was it? What, what do you call them? I can't remember what we call it. The finish. Oh, the bounce oh, yeah. shot kind the of thing. Shot, yeah. <laughs> we never did get to ask about that, Sam, did we? That would be something you would take to your grave. 
asked, I asked Matt Macy about it, dealing it in training. <laughs> and Matt, Matt is a lovely bloke. He was like, uh, what? <laughs> he, was like, he was like, yeah, it's quite impressive, really. <laughs> I, kind of, I, kind of, I kind of hope for a lot more, but um, maybe it's just me. Uh, well, two out of two so far, Mark. Good start. Um, question three. Since the summer of 2016, so in the last five years, from which league have Arsenal signed the most players? Like, oh, we're even going that includes Wenger, doesn't it? Since the summer of 2016, so includes summer 2016. Ah, oh, thinking so hard. He's looking out the window like wist- <laughs> yeah. wistfully. <laughs> yeah, the Premier League's got to be quiet. That's not my answer, but the Premier League's got to be quiet in that list, I think. Check, Louise, Willian. Ramsdale, White. I think that's it. Um, Cedric. Yeah, I was going to say. You. Yeah, Cedric. Just keep come on, let's keep going. Let's keep doing it. <laughs> um, Bundesliga, probably high. I'd imagine. I'm going to say the Premier League. Incorrect. Oh. It's can, I, can I have a guess? Can I have a guess? Oh, sorry. I'll oh. just cut you off. Oh, oh. What are you going to say? Wait, did, did you already say it? Yeah, but we can pretend I didn't. Oh, <laughs> I, I was going to say Liga, but... No, I guess... also close. It's actually La Liga. La Liga oh. had the most. And I wrote down how many there were, but I've actually lost that document. <laughs> uh, but it is, it, it is La Liga, if you count them all up. Uh, Mustafi, the shining light. <laughs> Yeah, Mustafi, yeah. Lucas Perez. Uh, who else they got? Odegaard, obviously. Um, yeah, right. And he's a Bios times two. I do Odegaard oh. two as well. I suppose oh. they both count twice. Yeah. I didn't count Sabios twice, but I did count Odegaard twice because they were separate deals. Ooh. Although technically Sabios was twice, wasn't he? Technically, but it's more of an extension. Uh, question four. Which former Arsenal player am I? I have, I have made more than 100 appearances for my country. I have won eight league titles in my career. I once scored the UEFA goal of the season in the 2015 and 16 season. I scored one goal for Arsenal. And I've got one extra clue, which I might give you if you really need it, but I'm going to leave it at that for now. And, I mean, all I'm going to say is, can I have every single one of them again, please? He scored one yeah. goal for Arsenal. I have made more than 100 appearances for my country. Yeah. I have won eight league titles in my career. Yeah. I once scored the UEFA goal of the season in the 2015-16 season, but I only scored one goal for Arsenal. I'll give you the other key. I'll give you another key. I never played for Arsene Wenger and I never played for Mikel Arteta. I've got someone in mind because I'm sure I've seen that he he won the goal of the season award despite not being known as a goal scorer. So I'm going to say a name that might embarrass me or might have me running around my kitchen with my shirt off. Yeah. Hundred times for his country, eight league titles, one More Arsenal than times for his country, one yeah, Arsenal so. goal, which we saw because I'm sure it was in the League Cup. Against Blackpool. 
uh, because it's Stefan Lichsteiner. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Superb. Superb. Oh. I think that the last clue would not play for Arteta or... That helped. It was in my mind because I remember, I remember when he signed and we did the whole... Uh, I remember doing the, a piece, you know, we all do like the... We don't know that much about him, so we'll do the Arsenal statement and then whatever's about him on Wikipedia. And I remember, think I think that's when I would have known that he got the goal of the season. Hmm. Ooh, my, uh, that. my other clue I was tempted to throw in was the usual laws of ageing don't apply to me. Because he uh, famously <laughs> said, yes, I may be 35, but I've still got the body of a 28-year-old. Because he never uh, two weeks, rock. <laughs> Yeah, two weeks before he got absolutely ravaged by... Jürgen Lacardia down at Brighton, I think. <laughs> so uh, didn't, didn't age well, but yeah, uh, good answer, good knowledge. Question number five. According to club historians, Gunnosaurus Rex hatched from his egg in 1993. But where was the egg discovered? Oh, my God. Um... <laughs> this is the stuff of club folklore. Right, my only can I have one bit of help here? Is it an actual place or something that's been made up, like a footballing pun that sounds like a dinosaur? No, he was discovered in, according to the club. He was discovered in a very specific place, which is a real place. Do you know this art? No, uh, sorry. Couldn't you have asked me the Burger King one that you gave to Charles Watt? <laughs> I like to throw in one, uh, one silly one. But this is actually deadly serious, obviously, because Gunnosaurus is a a club icon. (laughs) 1993, egg discovered. Centre circle at Highbury. I'm going to give you half a point. (laughs) He was discovered during a rebuild under construction of the North Bank at Highbury. Oh, oh no, so that, that's not, no, that's not a point. I, even I don't think that's hard. We don't do half points. I'll, I'll take, I'll point. take that it was close. Hit the post. <laughs> it, it, it was closer to zero than it was to one point. So yeah, definitely, we'll round, we'll round you down. <laughs> he's twenty-eight uh, till he's twenty-nine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I I said Stefan Lichtsteiner. <laughs> <laughs> he's twenty-eight till he's forty-two. Um, <laughs> uh, that puts you on three, so you need to get all five and any questions to, to get on to... Right. I know you can't come top. Charles Watt has established you can't knock him off the top, but you can obviously still beat Nick Ames, which is the key. Uh, so, yeah, El Nenny round, specialist subject. Question one, a straightforward one. Against which team did El Nenny make his Arsenal debut? Burnley. Correct. Question two. El Nenny received the first red card of his professional career when he was involved in a confrontation with, with which, which current Arsenal, Arsenal player? player? Yes. <laughs> Cedric Suarez. Correct. Oh, Very my knowledge. God. I'm going to have to find the footage of that because I don't remember <laughs> yeah. it. I think it was, it, was a, it was like a scuffle. I think it was like a scuffle from what I remember. Yeah. I don't think he was involved in the challenge from what I remember. Oh, it was right. a bit like... Who did it? He had grabbed someone around the throat last year and then he got booked. Oh, I can't remember that game. player. Uh, he yeah, he was, grabbed someone around the throat about 10 minutes after Jacques had done the same thing. So <laughs> El- the, the, the masterclass with Elneny was that after doing it, he fell to the floor, touching his face Perfect. and just like completely threw the referee off. Which is <laughs> <laughs> just, just superb. Um, good start, Mark. Good start. Uh, Elneny has scored five goals 
in 132 appearances for Arsenal. Yeah. How many of those goals were scored from outside the box? I think it's two or three. Um, Olympiacos and Dundalk were definitely outside the box. Newcastle wasn't. I think that was his last goal. Artur Borisov was a good finish, but I don't think it was outside the box. Was Barcelona? That's the one I can't remember. His first Arsenal goal, Barcelona away. He was like one of the first Premier League players to score at the new Camp for like a ridiculous amount of time. I'm going to say three. Yeah, correct. Oh. Correct. Wow. So the Barcelona one was just outside the box and the Newcastle one was just inside the box. Um, I did my hand any research, as you can see. <laughs> <laughs> but I was pausing it on the YouTube video. That's quite the, exact, <laughs> the, exact, the exact spot from which he took the shot. Um, question four. And so far, so good on the Elneny round. At which club did Elneny start his professional career? And I won't accept anything but the exact answer. Well, what was it? What else would I give you? <laughs> well, you, well when, you, when you know the actual answer, you'll see what I mean. Maybe that was a clue. Oh, I see what you mean. So you mean like he might have come through the, a bit Eddie and Ketia-esque. The answer wouldn't be Chelsea. The answer would be Arsenal. Is it that kind of thing? Um, well, it's the way, way he made his, his first senior appearance, essentially. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, so I'd say Al Alhi. Uh, that's unlucky. He was on the youth books of oh, Al Alhi. That is Ooh, the Enketia thing. I was just <laughs> yeah, he uh, but he made his senior debut at Al Mokaulun. Oh, of course he did. So, uh, of course, of course, <laughs> of course he did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, and that brings us to our final question. Uh, I'm sure the listeners <laughs> come back, come back. <laughs> yeah. oh, what am I on here, by the way? Six. So I need this to not come uh, last. Is that right? So you got Fabregas, you got right. Urza, you got right. Lichtsteiner, you got right. That was three. And then he debuted Burnley, that was four. Cedric Suarez, that was five. Three outside the box, that was six. Yeah, so you've got to get this to get seven. As a child... Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> What did El Nenny used to do to help build a stronger connection with the ball? Yeah, it's that thing again where you know you've read something. <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to ask me like the first time he played in England and all this kind of shit. Um, what, this was, uh, what an awful <laughs> question. <laughs> little clue to make it just that little bit easier uh, this thing he did was a demand from his dad his dad made him do it oh. come on Mark it rings a bell I know it does it does and it's like it's, it's in there you know when something's buried in there which is even more annoying I think it's quite it's, it's, some, it's not that weird is it like you'd think it'd be weird I think it's moderately weird. <laughs> I've got two. I've got two ideas again, like I did earlier on. I'm going to say them both and see if you laugh at either of them, and then that won't be the I'm, answer. I'm going to stop my video so you can't see me. <laughs> I think it's either talk, like have conversations with the ball, or take the ball to bed with him. 
I'm going to say for an answer him up. I'm going to say his dad made him take a football to bed with him. Yes, Woo. magnificent. Yeah, Woo. he went to bed with the ball. He slept with the ball as a child, and that's how he became so familiar with the curves of the ball. <laughs> know the ball, <laughs> become yeah, the yeah. ball. Become one <laughs> Mike Bassett. <laughs> well, that puts you in seven, which means Nick Ames remains <laughs> at a further table. Uh, good. Uh, I have to say, my, well my, my aim was to get the same as you because we're the only two that have done it so far that have no real associations with Arsenal other than covering them as journalists. Hmm. So I think, yeah, everyone else has asked a fan out there apart from Nick, but he obviously has his own associations going back. Very true, very true. Well, thank you. No, everyone. thank you. Thank you for not embarrassing me on my Mo Nene quiz. Although no, you did very well. I'm never buying an Al Mokaloon shirt for the, in my entire life. <laughs> He'll text you after this thing. Enjoyed your quiz, Mark. Thanks a lot for that. <laughs> <laughs> He'll never speak to me. Oh, you knew I played for Mokaloon. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a picture of the ball in his bed. <laughs> in my yeah, bed? No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Right, thanks all. I'll see you both on Saturday, I guess.